0: Your favorite sugary cereal, it's time for Saturday Morning Fever. Proud member of the Fine Water Podcast Network, I'm your host, Rob Kelly, and joining me for this long-delayed second episode of the series is our pal, Zoom Yukonori. Hello, Zoom.
1: I'll be with you in a moment, Mr. Kelly. I'm adjusting my audio patch just a minute just need to match the patch to the latch and make sure i do not touch the clutch or pinch the winch there we go can you hear me now sir
0: yes i can did you uh, did you pack a lunch
1: I said launch, not lunch. No,
0: no, no. So, That was our little bit of comedy there. Uh, yeah, to pull back the uh, curtain a little, uh, for some of you may be wondering why it took us so long to finally get around to a second episode of this show. This is reaching hero points type levels of uh, gaps in between episodes. And uh, right after the premiere of the first episode, which was way back in July, uh, Zoom reached out to me and said he really wanted to talk about Far Out Space Nuts, the live-action Saturday morning show from Sid and Marty Croft. And I remembered that show growing up, and I thought, oh, that's, okay, that'll be fine. And, of course, you know, I'd only, I hadn't seen any of these episodes in probably you know, 35, 40 years. And uh, Zoom hopefully pointed out that they're all on YouTube. So I thought, okay, this will be easy. I'll watch all 15 episodes, and then we'll talk about it. Well... <laughs> I learned fairly quickly, if you watch more than one or two Far Out Space Nuts episodes in a row, you start to go insane. You just absolutely start to lose your mind. And I just couldn't bear to watch all 15 in a short period of time. So I really had to stretch it out, which is why this episode took so long to get to. So my apologies for that. But, Zoom, so, why did you want to talk about Far Out Space Nuts?
1: Well, first I wanted to drive you mad.
0: <laughs> okay, well done.
1: Better than Stan Ross. Uh, anyway... Um... <laughs> I, I recall you mentioning uh, this program uh, on episode one twenty seven of your pre network Fire and Water podcast, which was you know covering science fiction television shows in oh, the nineteen seventies and nineteen eighties.
2: They did that with Gene Hendricks, I believe.
1: Right, right, and and other guests too, and all of those other co hosts. They were reacting as if you made up the whole thing. <laughs> and I believe in the comments only I and uh, the Sutherlands remembered the show. So, um, but I could only remember a handful of random scenes uh, from the few episodes that I had seen when I was 12 years old and on holiday in the U.S. Uh, so this prompted me to seek out some episodes on YouTube, and I rewatched the few episodes I had viewed at, at age 12 and all of the others that I did not see, and. Uh, true. It, it may not hold up to today's current level of children's television programming, but I feel that uh, it was like the other Sid and Marty Croft shows that were quite outstanding in its day. Uh, and in rewatching as an adult, I find the humor in Far Out Space Nuts to be quite smart uh, because it it was obviously inspired by the timeless comedy of Laurel and Hardy, Abbott and Costello, yeah, sure. and the like. You know, and and there was that bit in that Crystal Lights episode when you know Junior was. Um, I'm getting ahead of myself, but you know, he was turned into that monster from drinking an alien coconut milk and he's chasing the crystallite. He's he's yeah, see, you're the, you're laughing at it too. See, you still find it funny, um, and he's chasing the crystalite guards down an alien hallway, and the aliens do this quick little Charlie Chaplin hobble on one foot as they're turning a corner. You know, which I still find hilarious to watch. So, so you know, they employ they employ that type of humor and and clever homages and 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 parodies of classic films that I most likely would not have appreciated at age twelve, but I'm sure that the host of the Film and Water podcast would appreciate now
0: you put me on the spot here. Uh, yeah, I, I can't say that I found that level of, of, of humor depth to it, really. But, yeah, it definitely does harken back to, you know, Laurel and Hardy and Abbott Costello. Because for anybody who hasn't seen the show, and that's probably most everybody at this point, the basic plot is that it's, it starred Bob Denver, of course, Gilligan, as Junior, a gray-haired and seemingly dim-witted but uniquely clever NASA maintenance worker, and Chuck McCann is Barney, his plump and grumpy coworker. And the whole thing is, they are getting on the rocket, and uh, they're they're packing various materials. And you can hear, and you'll hear in the, the opening song, which we'll play at the end of the show, about the whole bit about uh, where he says to Junior, "Did you pack the lunch?" And of course, Junior, being very much place, it's Bob Denver, so he's very Gilligan-like, hits the launch button. And that, that brings up the whole, I said, launch, not launch, and that sends them into outer space, and they then become far-off space nuts. They meet up a, a, an alien named Honk, played by mm-hmm. someone named Patty Maloney, who's a little furry alien, and all Honk does, as you might imagine, is Honk. Just Honk, Honk, that's the whole bit for Honk there. And they just basically go on crazy adventures, where they land on planets and meet, you know, bizarrely coiffed space aliens. Uh, in episode two, you mentioned the crystallites features John Carradine of all people, in sort of mm-hmm. sparkly makeup. and it, I mean, the show is like, it's just so, it's a weird show. It's a weird, weird show.
1: Oh, yeah, but it has a little bit of, well, you know, a lot of the cross shows are weird. But, yes. you know, there's, there, uh, I remember Bob Denver reading somewhere, he, he re- referred to it as a low-budget Star Trek, which it was. You know, as you were saying, they're exploring strange new life and new civilizations, and, <laughs> and they're all just trying to get back home, essentially. So I guess it's like the Voyager program a little bit ahead of its time. Ow. <laughs> but, but what's very interesting is that um, when I hear about this show, a lot of people are comparing um, Bob Denver and Chuck McCann as uh, Gilligan and Skipper. And, and a lot of people were speculating that the, uh, the original um, role of Barney was supposed to be for Alan Hale. Um, and and then Chuck McCann did it because uh, Alan Hale either didn't want to do it or wasn't available. But I, I think that's utter nonsense because Chuck McCann was actually one of the co-creators of the show. And again, while some people compared his Barney character to the skipper for Bob Denver's Gilligan, I, I saw him more as Oliver Hardy to Mr. Denver's Stan Laurel, essentially. Um, And and again, there are a number of physical bits in in some episodes that either homage or actually downright reenact some of those really hilarious Laurel and Hardy um, physical slapstick routines.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's really what I mean. It's the show is meant to I I don't mean to take this so seriously. I mean, it's obviously not meant to appeal to someone my age It's meant to appeal to, you know, an eight year old who just wants to watch Saturday morning TV. And I said I remembered I, you know, I remember enjoying it because it's it's colorful You know, they they're in their orange jumpsuits and they're running around. And then all the aliens are like super brightly colored. Like everybody is like all the color saturation is like at 100 percent. And they've got, you know, they've got strange appendages sticking out. And I mean, and every episode features at least like two or three different kinds of aliens running around and all these crazy, you know, I mean, the sets are cheap and real, you know, as you mentioned, it's, it's like Star Trek with even less of a budget. But, you know, as a kid show, for watching it at like 11 o'clock in the morning while you're eating your Cocoa Puffs, it, it works perfectly well.
1: Oh, sure. There, there's a lot of things I could say uh, in response to that. I mean, first, you know, I, I saw it when I was 12. So uh, I was probably part of the older crowd. But, again, because it was using a lot of that older, timeless humor, it probably appealed to me. And what's very interesting is that I, I didn't mention that another co-creator was Earl Dowd, who was who he worked on Mad Magazine. So that that would explain why there's a lot of that clever humor in the parodies, you know, and and I think that would kind of appeal to the older kid crowd and you know older than ten anyway, um, and maybe for the parents too. Um, but yes, um, the 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 costumes and makeup they were just fantastic. Um, like you said, the aliens were very weird, um, psychedelically weird. You could say you could say the same thing for the the sets and the and the miniature sets that they used a lot of. I mean, they were just way out there. Um, and some of the costumes uh, characters like the robots in, in the episode Robots of Pod or the dronex in It's All In Your Mind, they remind me of Alex Toth Hanna Barbera designs come to life. Hmm. And 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 I don't recall seeing Mr. Toth's name in the credits, but the costume designers must have been inspired by by his work. And and speaking of of which, you know, you, you remember those shrink ray toting pippets from from the episode "Flight of the Pippets" or the Van- "Vanishing Alien Mystery," they're they're based on Mars attack aliens. I'm sure of it.
0: Oh, you know, you, Now that you say it, I'm trying to like picture the moment. But now that you say, it, yeah, I can sort of imagine that. I can see that.
1: Yeah, it's great, but you know, visually, you know, it is on the chintzy side in terms of special effects. There's a lot of chroma key. There's those stop and start the camera techniques for you right. know teleportation or transformation sequences, like when Junior turns into the monster. Um, but I do admit that you know the the, the effects can get downright ridiculous. Yes, there, there's that anti gravity sequence. um, it, it, just in the opening credits, where you see the cream pie bouncing along in midair somehow before smacking into Barney's face, um, as as he's putting on a space helmet that has no visor, so it wouldn't have protected him anyway. Um, they did they did a couple of those weightless scenes uh, in another episode called Dangerous Game, uh, which it was just ridiculous. The, there was also that that uh, mini Olympics episode uh, called The Galaxy's Greatest Athlete, which involved Bob Denver's Junior having to compete in track and field games, and and the whole studio was basically a miniature set with with Bob Denver and chroma key and it's very obvious that he's running in place and the effects people are just sliding his image across the screen right. to make it right. like he's running you know is, is uh, or when they when uh, Junior or Barney have to fly in jet packs they obvious there's obviously no wire work you know they're, they're just standing on the floor holding their arms up and sometimes they make the little extra effort to stand on their tiptoes I suppose but but while these effects were ridiculous they're still funny to watch and that's that's actually the point you know, and and the use of chroma key and stop camera effects are very typical of Croft programs of the day. So I find them utterly charming in that regard.
0: I have to wonder how, you know, tedious it was for the actors to do all that stuff. You mentioned the chroma key. I mean, this show is mostly done in, you know, those sorts of effects. And that had to be kind of boring for them to sit there and, you know, just wait for that stuff to be placed in and put your hands here and fake this and do that. I mean, at the same time... You know, it was probably I don't get the sense that, like, you know, there were a lot of takes done, and, you know, like it was like pretty yeah. much, you know, first or one or two takes. It's fine. Get You know, it's it's you know, we don't have to. We're not really doing heavy acting here. You know, this is kind of simple stuff.
1: Yeah, that's that. That's true. And, and you know, going back to um, going back to your mention of John Carradine as, as King of the Christalites, you know, um, I read somewhere that Bob Denver was so um, he was both embarrassed <laughs> For Mr. Carradine having to be covered in in paint and glitter, and yet yet he was also so impressed because um, he gave such a a solid performance in delivering his lines that, that Mr. Denver actually missed a cue or two <laughs> in that episode, and they had to retake everything. You know, but he was such a professional about it. Um, going back to what you said about Honk, um, I, I have to say Honk is my favorite part of the show, <laughs> and and it's you know as 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 you said he's a, he's a, well she. Is a small. They call him a he as a character, but but it is played by Patty Maloney. Um, and 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 she's a small, fuzzy alien creature. Communicates by honking through a big horn. On the forehead, and it's a full head puppet mask. It's a full suit. Um, So regardless of how dated the show may look watching today, I still find it so amazing how Ms. Maloney was able to make Honk communicate and convey so many emotions solely through body language and miming without having to use any facial expressions or spoken dialogue. That is something you really don't see today, and it's not that easy to do. No, Um, it's not. Definitely not. You know, there, there were times at the beginning of, of the series when Honk would need to pantomime things, you know, like play charades to get her messages across. But then in later episodes, the writers just seemed to pull a leaf out of Lassie's book, and, and, and the Space Nuts knew that Honk Honk meant little Timmy was trapped in a well or
0: right. something. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what other uh, famous credit Patty Maloney has?
1: Um, my understanding is that she uh was a voice actress right. um in one of the little rascals uh animated series that came a little bit later um I'm trying to remember what else- i i think she she did some other cross shows too the credit I'm... I'm
0: the credit I'm thinking of she played mm-hmm. lumpy in the star wars holiday special
1: oh my gosh she did <laughs> oh that is right
0: <laughs> so she was involved in that nightmare. Um, she's Tough, tough lady, tough lady.
1: Oh yes, yes. If she was able to play Lumpy, that's fantastic. I had no idea.
0: Yeah, I had I mean, no I... Yeah, these all these plots are. I mean, they are very. They're, they, they do remind me of kind of a uh, challenge of the Super Friends, and that stuff happens because it does. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, they're just – this. Cra- I mean, let's – a couple of the plots here. I've got them in front of me. Like, the first episode is called cool, so It's All in Your Mind. Junior yes. and Barney are taken to a planet ruled by a brain-controlling computer named Gal, 362436.
1: Which... Oh, actually, it should be Gal 959595. Well, that's her measurements, 959595. Oh, I
0: okay. All right.
1: I, I'm, I'm I'm borrowing, if not outright stealing, a joke from the brilliant Stan Freeberg. I'm sorry. Go oh,
0: on. okay. All right. <laughs> You're way above me here, Zoom. Uh, But I mean, just that that joke by itself is kind of an adult joke, because kids aren't going to get the whole measurements thing.
1: That's a thing for adults.
0: You know, that's a thing for adults.
1: Yeah, that's something for the parents to enjoy while it goes over the kids' heads.
0: Right. Uh, Robots of Pod, which is the third episode, is to rescue Princess Lantana of the underground city of Pod. The boys retrieve a magic belt from the planet's evil ruler, the robot Mercurial. It's another gag mercurial what yes. you know who yes. what, what little kid knows what that word means
1: right exactly and and, and mercurial was played by Earl Dowd who was actually another uh, co-creator right. and the one that worked at the one that worked at Mad Magazine so he um he played he played Captain Torque as well in another episode i'll I'll get to that later but go on
0: Captain Torque space pirate
1: yes he played the space pirate captain torque and captain torque space pirate
0: <laughs> what's the episode i forget which one what's the one where we see junior reading comic books, him and honk are reading DC sixties comics. I remember that that jumped out at me because they're reading like strange adventures from like 1965.
1: It's strange adventures issue number one fifty-two, And that's from tower of Taggart.
0: Okay. All right. That's, that's,
1: that's that's the one where they have to, um, they have to rescue a a princess that has been kidnapped by Taggart and Taggart took over the, the kingdom and, and, um, uh, uh, the, the, he gets uh, Junior gets armed with a, a, a bravery belt, I believe it was called. Um, so there's there's that time when Junior actually gets to play a, a different character when he's suddenly so brave and and he's almost like Errol Flynn. <laughs> It's pretty uh, hilarious. And that's when they use the Inviso-Ray swords that make them kind of disappear a piece at a time.
0: Oh, that's right. Okay. The, yes, that's, 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 that's that that's one. The All visual,
1: right. That's the visual gag that you probably remember. But yes, that's right. Honk was, Honk was actually reading a comic book. That's
0: right. I, that really that stuff. I, when I was a little kid, I loved that stuff. When I saw like in a movie where they were, somebody was reading a comic book, it was so exciting. It was like, whoa! I know that. I know what that is. It's so. I think it was funny that that they made the effort to get a space comic book, even though it was ten years out of date by that point.
1: Oh yes, and and actually, they made a little comic book sequence as part of a gag a little bit later because uh, what was it? Junior, Junior, and Honk were reading comics, and and Junior wanted to fly the the spacecraft, and 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 uh, Barney said, well, I. I read the manual, I know how, but it's like, Can you let me do it? you know, and so he lets him drive and then and then Barney's reading the comic and they're reading it one panel at a time. And of course, what's happening in the comic panels is exactly what's happening on the show. Right. At the same time, you know, and and, and even the characters kind of look like them. So that somebody went to the effort to actually draw draw that little comic strip sequence. That's
0: pretty cool. Uh, in the the, the three space skateers, you mentioned that one mistaken for an underground oh, hero. Gosh, yes. Junior, you're sticking for the underground hero Junio, Junior <laughs> is compelled to rescue Queen Helona of the planet Sporia from Troyak's Crystal Ball Prison. Think of all the terms they've just thrown at you in just uh, two sentences right
1: there. Oh yes, I know, and again they're they're rescuing some kind of they're rescuing a, a, a or, or helping um, a, a, a female ruler of some kind of alien civilization. This actually happens in another episode too. What I liked about the Three Space Keteers was um, there's a scene where um, um, yeah, Junior, Junior, Junior is um, mistaken as another space by these two other space sketeers. And, and in order to allow these two, these two other space to search for the, the captured queen uh, in some alien fortress, they decide to distract all the soldiers by saying that they're, they're there to put on a USO show. For them, right. for the troops. And, and Chuck and Chuck McCann does a dead on impersonation of Bob Hope. He calls himself Barney Hope and he's right. running through like Bob <laughs> Hope type routines. And yes, yeah, see, you're laughing at it. And I found it very funny, even though the aliens didn't. And that was part of the joke, too. You know, the aliens are like, what is this guy saying? You know, it's 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 quite funny.
0: It says something about the uh, – and it was funny. We were just talking about this. In fact, let me try to think about when this is going to air. I'm, I'm getting all confused. I think this episode is going to air before the one that I'm about to reference, but I've recorded them out of sequence, is that uh, there's an episode of uh, Fire & Water Podcast coming up with me and Max Romero where we talk about an issue of Adventure Comics featuring Plastic Man where he basically meets the Marx Brothers. And I was Yes, I, I love that one. I, right. And I was remarking how in nineteen eighty a writer could assume safely that kids knew who the March brothers were because they were still kind of playing on television and stuff. And you think about that Chuck McCann is playing Bob Hope, that's mm-hmm. how prevalent Bob Hope was in nineteen eighty, that even little kids would know who Bob Hope was.
1: Right, exactly. You and and actually impression yeah whether it was in 1975 when it first aired or 1978 when it reran yes they, they they should know who bob hope was
0: it's kind of remarkable when you think about it you know i mean it's it's i guess because there was so much less television there was just the three channels and then the uhf channels that you know you we all kind of filter through the same entertainment in a lot of ways. There wasn't right. 40 million channels like there are now, and so you can't expect you—you you couldn't stick a, uh, an old-timey comedian. Which I don't even know what you would consider an old-timey comedian by this point. Like Jay Leno, is he an old-timey comedian? <laughs> I mean, it's <laughs> the dates that were rapidly <laughs> by. But I mean, I would have gotten a Bob Hope joke at that age because I knew who Bob Hope was. I didn't really see the films, but I was familiar with the persona enough.
1: Oh, yes, and he had his own comic book, too.
0: He did have his own comic book Uh, for, like, 110 issues or something. Uh, (laughs) In in Birds of a Feather, which is episode 8, Junior and Barney arrive on the planet Voltron, inhabited by a race of bird people. The bird people capture the space nuts and force them to sit on an enormous egg until it hatches. (laughs)
1: There is a long uh, Laurel and Hardy reenactment in that in that episode when they drop the invisible egg and they're trying to go down the the cliff and come back up. It, it, it's very similar to uh, a Laurel and Hardy movie I saw. I can't remember the name of it offhand, but they're they're on a rooftop and they're doing the same thing. They're trying to get back on the roof and and they're dangling down uh, from it. I'm, I wish I could remember the the movie. Are you but, a big uh, fan of Laurel and Hardy? Obviously not big enough to remember the name of the movie. Well, I guess I mean, do you find them funny? Do you find them funny? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I do. Okay. Yes, I do. I I I do. I, I and Abbott and Costello and I Love Abbott and Evan Costello. You know, they're, they, they it's um it's timeless. It's timeless. Yeah. Even if even if the settings and the scenarios um definitely give you a certain date, you know, the 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 humor, you can you can laugh at it and my, my kids will laugh at it.
0: Oh, I mean, I laugh at Buck privates just as much as I did when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, and, and even though they're talking about the draft and all this stuff that's, you know, doesn't, you know, had no right. had no, you know, bearing on my life then or now, I still laugh at it really, really hard. But yeah, uh, yeah, on Hardy, I don't, I don't, I don't know, they just miss for me for whatever reason. Not to, not to get off far out space nuts, but they've that's always, okay. I've seen some of their films and I just, I kind of sit there and I go, uh, okay, I appreciate that they were, their historical significance, but they, sure. they, they particular, never really made me laugh. But I, I have to say, part of the reason I do kind of, I don't know, I'm making fun of Far Out Space in this, but part of the reason I did have a warm place in my heart for it because it was Bob Denver who was Gilligan, and I, right. were, I loved Gilligan's Island as a kid. I absolutely watched every episode hundreds of times. And he was one of those guys that if I saw him in another thing, I was like, "Oh, it's Gilligan," and he's basically playing Gilligan here.
1: <laughs> yeah, which is kind right of ahead. unfortunate because I, I understand he tried to he tried to do non Gilligan type roles right. after Gilligan's Island was over, but but it seems like that that seemed to be what studios wanted him to do.
0: Right. Yeah. I th- maybe by this point. Uh, I think they had maybe done one of the reunion movies by this point, the Gilligan's owner. <laughs> and so he probably knew the Die was cast. And so he was like, all right, I'll take this gig and basically just play a Gilligan. Cause I think there's even in the first episode, am I wrong? I think, I think that Barney calls him little buddy at one point.
1: He does. He does. Yeah. yeah. Because when he, when he gets transferred into the gal computer, basically they switch minds. So gal is in, is in Bob Denver's body and, and Gilligan's in the uh, in the robot body, trying to roll around, going, "Hey Barney, wait for me!" And Barney's like, "Little buddy, is that you?" There you go. You just called him Gilligan, by the way. Oh, did I? You
0: did. So there, <laughs> there we go. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I loved Gilligan's Island, and so it was fun to see, you know, Bob Denver. And then, and like, so when you were a kid, right? Did you make any demarcation in your mind between cartoons and live action? Because I didn't. I, I was like, if it's on Saturday morning, it's meant for me, and it wasn't until right. sports came on. <clears throat> That I was like, okay, now TV's over
1: for me now. Well, you know, I didn't get a lot of Saturday morning cartoon living in Singapore, but when I was on holiday, yes, I I, um, I saw it as as more like a live action cartoon. It's like, oh, sure. they're doing a they're they're trying to do a cartoon in live action, you know, which was kind of I, I thought it was neat.
0: Yeah, it has that same manic Hanna Barbera energy. You know, of just – they don't have the little sound of the, the – when people run in the air, but it might as well have. You know, it's just that same – because, again, it's like they go to these crazy plants and people are – and there's like a laugh track uh, on right. it. I mean they drop that in and said and the colors are all crazy in the backdrops and things. So, yeah, it, had, it feels like a cartoon show that's just done with actors.
1: Yeah. I, though when you talked about the laugh track, I, I... – believe that they actually recorded the show and they actually um they then performed the show before a live studio audience i don't think they necessarily used canned bits because there were there were times when like again in in the crystalites when junior first turns into that monster the the studio audience really reacts with shock and and it it didn't look like something that would have been canned. I, um, they, they do another, um, what was it? I think it was in Robots of Pod when, when there's the, the soup bowl was called a lap. So when, when uh, a character would say, you know, pour the soup in my lap, the audience was like, oh, I know where this is going by their reaction, you know, which I, I, which I don't think you can get from a recording. Um, so so I, I think it may have been an actual live studio audience, but I I cannot, I cannot say for sure.
0: Uh, this show was uh, put on VHS, uh, which is sort of funny. That I don't remember that, but I remember it was put on VHS. And it's on DVD now, of course, as part of the Croft, Sid and Marty Croft box sets that they've done. I mean, those guys were pretty amazing. They had a pretty good tracker. This show only lasted a year. They only did yes, 15 did. episodes. The uh, the Greatest Athlete, uh, Galaxy's Greatest Athlete, is the last episode. and It doesn't get a series <laughs> for now. Uh, actually, it didn't even last a year. It lasted basically four months. Uh, you know,
1: I, I, I beg I beg to differ as far as a series finale, actually. Um but but we'll talk about that in a moment. I didn't mean to interrupt you.
0: No, no, no. What's what do you how are you disagreeing with me that well, series finale?
1: Well I know Galaxy's greatest athlete is the last production number. So as a result, you know, because um because episodes are usually produced out of order, especially when you have a lot of chroma key special effects, um the when they put it on disc sets or collected sets they tend to put them by episode number because uh, rather than by air date and my understanding is that the, the last episode that was actually aired was called Destination Earth and i see it as a season finale that became a series finale just by the very, the, the basic concept of it
0: which now what is the plot of that one i don't remember what the plot of it <laughs>
1: Right. The idea was that there was a pair of cat like aliens who offer to let Barney and Junior use a device of theirs to travel back in time oh, to before right. they left to before they left Earth, but they okay. have a little difficulty with the handheld control rod, so they end up reliving scenes from previous episodes. Yes. So it's so it's essentially a clip show, which, you know, is common for shows to do when they either want to save or are running out of budget. Um, and, and I thought the concept of this finale and I am calling it a finale. To me, it was one of the more more unique of the television shows its time because. Um Eventually, they will find themselves back on Earth just before uh, they were about to deliver the food supplies of the capsule. And they go through that that sequence at the beginning with the loading up the, the lunch, and he presses the launch button by mistake. But at this point, we learn, at this point of the story, when they get back to Earth, we learn that the cat aliens are really not being good Samaritans. They were using the space nuts to take those control rods of theirs to Earth so they can come and invade our planet. So, um while Junior and Barney are going through the routine and, and making sure that they don't launch themselves into space, they start realizing, you know, they had to leave Honk behind. They couldn't, they couldn't, um, they couldn't bring him along on their trip. And they both miss the alien friends. So they kind of look at each other and smile, and they intentionally press the launch, not lunch button, and shoot themselves back into space. Um, and, of course, they still have the time controls with them, so the cat people can no longer get to Earth either, so it ties up very well. It's it's quite clever, and it almost creates kind of a loop in the series, though not quite, <laughs> uh, just in case the show does not get picked up for a second season, and, and of course, it didn't.
0: Christopher Nolan's Far Out Space Nuts. <laughs> <laughs> I never even thought about that because I, I will admit, by the time I got to the last couple of episodes, I really was kind of like just slogging through them a little bit because I was like, I really do need to watch all these. So that one, now that you re- recall the plot and you do it with your, with your silky smooth delivery, which is always enjoyable. Uh, yeah, you're right. Go. They really they – did, and it's funny you mentioned the whole clip show element because, of course, the final episode of Challenge of the Super Friends, which was the show that we talked about on the first episode of Saturday Morning Fever, is a clip show. Yes, it is. Very, you know, where it's like, oh, what happened? Oh, let's talk about all the different things. And then they flash back. So, yeah, it's it's sort of funny. Like, I guess they're like, oh, all right, we're 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 wrapping this up. So let's not we don't have a ton of we have no money to spend. So let's just do a clip show.
1: We need to spend more money on the cat makeup.
0: Yes. Now, as, a, as an actor, I have to wonder, like, do you I wonder if actors considered this kind of like low end work or did you look at it and we're like, it's a kid show. You know, kids need to be entertained, too. You know, I mean, oh, yeah. It was probably a fun gig cuz it's just so silly. You know, you get oh, to we get yeah. to put on a giant cat head and run around and be on these you know these sets with the the gel lights on them. It's I mean, you, you know it's the closest you're gonna get to be to Star Trek at the, at the time.
1: I think so and and I don't know if they were I don't know if they were necessarily I mean John Carradine was a guest star, but I think a lot of the other um, actors were on other Croft shows and and actually you know the other character actors on this show they were so good. they played different characters on different episodes and and because they play a different characterization and of course all the funky makeup, it's very difficult to tell they're the same actor. I mean, as I said, Earl Dowd played Mercurial in Robots of Pod, and then, of course, he was Space Pirate Captain Torque. But did you did you notice that? Did you notice it was the same person?
0: No, no, not at right.
1: all. Right, and then, and then Paul Wexler played uh, Egon of the Voltrons, not Defender of the Universe, but um, you know, yes. uh, in that Birds of a Feather, and he also played Taggett in Tower of Taggett, um, and. You wouldn't know. Um, and the same can be said for Hal Smith. And, and many know Hal Smith as Otis, the Mayberry town drunk from The Andy Griffith Show. And he played two two different characters. He played that slime-talking huckster Flam in Secrets of the Hexagon, the one that kind of manages to um, swindle uh, Junior out of, out of their entire space capsule, their way to get home, for this little tiny hexagon that doesn't do anything. And then he plays the Galactic Patrol Officer... In Captain Torque Space Pirate And his character was so different And, and I almost wouldn't have Believed it was the same actor and, and especially after hearing his stern Peter Graves delivery of a vow That was akin to Liam Neeson's Threat to his daughter's kidnappers <laughs> And taken <laughs> I will hunt you down if it takes the rest Of my galactic life Until you're caught And then you know it's just it's, it's amazing And then of course Stan Ross I, I I gotta talk about Stan Ross. He's actually the father of Stanley Ralph Ross from ah, Challenge of the Super Friends. Right. He he played Dr. Drone in that Fantastic Journey episode. That's the one where the mad scientist thinks that Junior and Barney are actually geniuses because they accidentally figured out how to work a device and wanted to to use them to help him with an experiment because they locked up this Dr. Drone guy, um, who was he was quite mad and he was like Oh, my goodness. He was really hamming it up. So that from the second line, you knew he was totally mad. You just don't see that sort of intentional overacting like that on television these days, not not even on the Disney Channel.
0: (laughs) It's funny that you mentioned Paul Wexler, because Paul Wexler played Captain C's in Doc Savage, Made of Bronze, which we just covered on Film and Water podcast. So that's amazing.
1: Yes, I know. It's just, uh, I guess maybe he was a guest star then. Uh, who knows? It's, it, it's, 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 you could tell they're having a lot of fun. Yeah. They're having a lot of fun. And of course, for Shag, I do have to mention that Eve Bruce played a very, very sensual, yet tough as no-nonsense Princess Lantana on the Robots of Pod. And Shag should check out Robots of Pod and that other episode she was in Vanishing Alien Mystery um, because, uh, well, she's smoking hot. <laughs> it's... <laughs> It's no wonder that Bob Denver just hugs her a little too long in one scene, you know.
0: I mentioned that that is Eve Bruce's last credit. Is far out space nuts?
1: I did not know that. That's
0: the last thing she did. She's apparently still with us, but she guess she retired after 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 you do far out space nuts. Where is there to go?
1: So. Oh yes, that's right. You've you've reached the highlight, and and of course in that vanishing aliens mystery episode, which was basically like a live action Scooby Doo episode, really. Though well. Maybe it was paying more tribute to that Boris Karloff film, This Old Dark House, uh, because, you know, the the they, they come out from a meteor shower instead of a rainstorm and end up in this whole spooky house routine. But then did, didn't Scooby-Doo often pay tribute to Old Dark House?
0: Yeah, yeah, many, 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 many times. And that's well, funny, you again, you're mentioning that Scooby-Doo is referencing a movie from like 1934 that hardly probably anybody – had seen at that point. Right, exactly,
1: <laughs> exactly. I, th- I I I almost wonder if this is just um, what is it? Whether whether the, whether the producers of the shows are actually using the humor and the references that they like, or if they're kind of almost using this to kind of introduce um, these concepts, the, these old time concepts to kids. I don't know.
0: Interesting idea. Now I have I have another idea. I'm going to pitch you. Pretend mm. pretend we're at a movie studio. This is mm-hmm. no okay. Far out space nuts. The movie. I'm gonna, th- I'm gonna throw two names out to- out for you.
1: Is that one of them Adam Sandler? It better not be no, Adam Sandler. No, no,
0: I would never, I would never, I would never do that to you or anyone. Uh, Jonah Hill as Barney. Mm. All right, and Michael Sarah as Junior. <laughs> it will, it'll be super bad, but in space. That's my elevator pitch. And Chuck McCann is still with us, so he can do a cameo.
1: He yes, he can. he can. Heck, he can. He can be an executive. Um, what? What is it? The uh, executive consultant. There you go. Perfect. Same that would there. be wonderful. He. He should be. He should be the the um, the NASA general that there barks out at at Junior and and Barney to like load that food up right now.
0: Can't, can't you picture <laughs> Jonah Hill yelling, "I said lunch, not launch." I, I can hear it. I'm telling you. And you know, all they want to do is make movies from established IP at this point. So. Why not? Why not do it?
1: Yeah, at least use some good IP like Far Out Space Nuts, right? There,
0: exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Zoom, we have managed to talk almost 40 minutes about Far Out Space Nuts. I didn't Who would have thought? I didn't think that was possible. <laughs> I have to thank you, though. I did enjoy watching these over again, even though I, I'm joking about it, that they almost drove me over the bend. But, uh, you know, you stretch them out. And they, as, as I said, they are all available on YouTube. So if you want to go and catch what uh, live-action kid vid was sort of like in 1975, uh, you know, you can go watch them. I mean, it's sort of funny when you think about it. I'm, it just occurred to me, these are 1975. This is pre-Star Wars. So they were, like, you know, ahead of the curve. a lot. I mean, they were clearly referencing Star Trek. Kind of. But I mean this is a pre Star Wars universe.
1: Oh yes. I'm sure George Lucas was just watching the show going, hmm.
0: Oh, I can steal this. This is a good, good idea. It's my <laughs> great George Lucas
1: impression. That's fantastic. It's Thank almost you. Kermit the Frogish. <laughs>
0: almost. Thank you very much. We all can't have your instrument, Zoom.
1: So I don't Oh I oh I, I, I can't I can't do Kermit the Frog at all. Make
0: make, make, make deal with what I have. So uh well is there anything else we wanna mention about Out Space Nuts before we sign off?
1: I, I think I think we covered it. Um again, Eve Bruce, very hot.
0: <laughs> Good way to go out. So uh yeah, so that's that's Far Out Space Nuts. Check it out on YouTube. Uh the all the Sid and Marty Croft stuff, they they were some great guys. I loved the, all those shows. The Bugaloos and the uh, Sing <coughs> Sigmund the Sea Monster and all that, right. that, that those things. Those guys were just
1: great. Great yeah, the, the Lost Saucer yeah.
0: uh, the, Oh, Land of the, lost. Oh, Land of the Land, lost Land of the Lost Yeah, they made a That's movie right. out of that, so why not So, uh, Zoom, where can people find you On the internet, good sir? Uh,
1: well, uh, most of my online Appearances of late have been on Facebook And Twitter under my own name um, I've also made a quasi-regular return to The Line It Is Drawn, which is a weekly sketch challenge feature on the Comic Book Resources website. Uh, this involves a select group of artists drawing comic book and pop culture art based on Twitter suggestions around a weekly theme. Uh, at the time of this recording, I've actually completed my 199th weekly submission. Wow. So perhaps my 200th week submission is already there as you're listening to this episode. And to find out, just visit CBR.com, as in Charlie CharlieBravoRomera.com, and type in the phrase, the line it is drawn, drawn, uh, in the search function in order to find it. Of course, all the other line artists are brilliantly clever, so it's well worth your time to check out their works while you're there as well. And again, I apologize in advance for all the pop-up adverts. They're not my doing. <laughs> <laughs> it's
0: worth uh, it. It's worth it to check out Zoom's artwork.
1: Oh, well, thank you. Uh, I also have a blog site that sometimes has that artwork as well, Om Al Fromage, uh, which can be found at zoom-yukinori.blogspot.com. And uh, there you'll also find posts about the time that I arranged a date between the Super Friends Wonder Woman and secret agent James Bond, or the time that Superman's adoptive mother nearly destroyed the Santa Claus myth for my then seven-year-old adoptive son, and then that one assignment in my marketing career, which was essentially a case where the third time was definitely the charm, even though it involved trusting my first instinct the second time around. <laughs> Wait, hold on. Did you hear that? I think gal 95, 95, 95 just exploded. <laughs> uh, and finally, yes, finally, yes. <laughs> I have been honored to be granted a small segment on the Fire and Water Network's monthly Who's Who podcast, which is known as Zoom's Who. My addendum to the definitive directory of the DC universe Now this initially started with the creation of faux Who's Who entries For the Earth-1 Superman and Earth-1 Wonder Woman Who were slighted by the first edition of DC's Who's Who In favor of their post-crisis versions But now it has grown into a mad plan To honor even more longtime DC creations That were either omitted from the first edition As well as some additional characters I simply made up Like Fireshag and Rob. I mean, how I come up with these brilliantly unique ideas I'll never know
0: <laughs> you are the Gardner Fox of the Fire and Water Podcast Network you just, Ideas oh, well, just spill out of you
1: Well, thank you, sir Now, the last Zoom Who entries, they included Star Trek's Lokai For your who's who in Star Trek And then Anti-Lad, who was essentially the, uh, akin to Justice League's triumph For the Legion of Superheroes But with a better attitude And who will be next? Who knows?
0: just have to tune into the next episode and find out That's right yeah. Uh, you can find this show, of course, over on our network, which is FireAndWaterPodcast.com. We promise it will not be another seven months before Episode 3 because, again, I, wanna, I want the show to at least be around more than Hero Point. So we will get to a third episode at some point soon. But I hope you enjoyed this talk about the Far Out Space nuts, Zoom, Of course always. I did. Uh, <laughs> I wasn't talking <laughs> to you. I wasn't talking to you. I not talking, I'm to, not talking to you. Come on. <laughs> Jeez. Um. Anyway, thank you very much, uh, Zoom, for insisting we do this because uh, uh, we said we, it's good to have another episode of Saturday Morning Fever.
1: Of course. Next time, Punky Brewster.
0: And with that, that's gonna we're gonna wrap this up. So thanks everybody for listening, and we will see you later. Bye. The spaceship was ready to charge.